Griffiths again. Good play by Gamland again. James McFadden scores for Scotland. France are stunned and Scotland lead in Paris. Welcome to this bonus podcast episode from Pure Football. This is an audio version of a live event that we hosted on our Twitch channel on the evening of Thursday the 11th of February. If you haven't yet, please do follow us on Twitch for more live interviews, our regular watch-along show, Pure Goals, and our Monday night football show. And if you're new to the podcast, we're unbiased, in-depth, and Scottish. If you like what you hear, hit subscribe now. Over to Gavin for this episode. We're going to be looking at the continued suspension of football in the lower leagues across Scotland from the SPFL, League One and below. So we're looking at it from a fans, players, coaching staff, directors, owners, all the familiar faces that you would ex- expect to find around a football stadium. Uh, and we'll be looking to discuss the lack of transparency, the incoherent statements, the failure to present clear solutions, and I guess the inability to do what most people want, and that's get the season back on track. So I guess we should caveat this with saying none of us are saying that football is above public safety. None of us are saying as individuals that we are above the current global pandemic and that we all treat it with the same level of care and respect as as you would hope from any member of the public. But what we are dismayed with is the current state of affairs, as we sort of mentioned. There's a lack of a clear plan to get the season finished. The impact that it's having on fans, players, clubs, and our panel will be looking to bring all the different perspectives uh, out there. We've got you in as well, so uh, our panel will be looking to give that perspective uh, from a Scottish football. We should have people uh, in the chat as well, so feel free to drop us a comment as we're going through this. Um, but for now, let me introduce you to our panel for tonight's show. So first of all, I'm Gavin Miller from Pure Football, the founder uh, of Pure Fitbit, the uh, market insights analyst as well. Um, but I guess the people that you really want to hear from are the are the ones that are with me. So uh, we've got Danny Denham, part-time footballer for East Fife, also a teacher, blogger and podcaster. Danny, how are you tonight, mate? Good. It's a lovely introduction. It's nice of you to turn up as well. Ten yeah. minutes late. Busy man. <clears throat> yeah. That's it. For for anyone that missed the start this year and was was late, so we'll we'll let that one slip. Seeing as he's a busy man. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding, mate. Just kidding. So you and I guess as you've made your your grand entrance. So we've got you uh, and a journalist from Lanarkshire Live and the Daily Record. You and you doing okay, mate? Yeah, I'm. I'm delighted to be here with two fellow Sterling Uni alumni, and. Uh, Part of my Guinness World Records tonight because we've got George Fraser, the oldest man to ever be on Twitch. So <laughs> <laughs> you can get me back later, George. Uh, it's all good, it. nobody. <laughs> I love it. And then we've got, you know, as you just mentioned, there we've got George Fraser, chairperson of the Scottish Lowland League and general manager of BSC Glasgow, who play in the Lowland League. And our motley crew is finished up with Bob Fallon, uh, who is a Edinburgh City fan in League Two is also a podcaster and a writer. Bob, how are you, mate? Uh, not too bad, thanks. Thanks for having me. Um, a rather more grandiose introduction than I was expecting. 
but thanks thanks very much you're very welcome mate. you're very welcome so again thank you to everyone that's joined us and uh, again just encourage anyone to get involved in the conversation as we're going through but i think before we get into some of the questions that i sort of positioned to all of you i thought it would be important just to clear some facts that we know of us as of today and again when we're looking to understand why there's a continued suspension of Scottish football from League One and below. I think these facts are quite pertinent in terms of uh, why there's such a dismay uh, and why there's such a lack of content about how things are going in Scotland right now. So, guys, hopefully you can all keep me right here. But uh, all SPFL clubs have agreed to complete testing similar to the Scottish Premiership and Championship as of now. So all clubs have agreed to do that with the funding that's been provided from the Scottish Government. COVID cases across the country are currently dropping uh, as a result of the lockdowns uh, and the regional restrictions. So um, a positive and we, we must uh, you know, take that into consideration. The argument around about part-time versus full-time, we know that there's part-time teams that play in the Scottish Championship. So how does that particularly work when uh, you've got full-time team, full teams in the league below? And I guess there's no clear decision-makers in terms of the statements, uh, who the decision-makers are. Is it the SFA? Is it the SPFL? Is it the Scottish Government? I think from statement to statement, it jumps between decision-maker. Um and the statements indicate that numerous clubs have been consulted with and engaged throughout this process from numerous sources at different clubs across different levels. There's been no engagement and a lack of consultants throughout this. The championship clubs all received a government grant of £500,000, League One with 150000 and 100000 to League Two. Regardless of your income or what your expenditure was, each club was given the same amount of money depending on what league they played in. And a further 2.5 million in grants was made available to football clubs at other levels, including the women's game and the Lowland League. Guys, is there anything that I've missed there in terms of some of the basic facts or anything that we think needs to be called out further? No, no. we're quite comfortable quite comfortable with that so yeah. what i'm going to do for for tonight then you and i'm going to come to you first um drawing you on your role as a journalist and you know uh, putting you on the spot actually for being late um <laughs> but uh i want you to just briefly summarize the sort of chain of events over the last sort of i think it's now on to week 10 since it was the last game of of football below the, the scottish championship so you can you just talk me through what's happened what how the events have transpired and why in your words that we've got to this situation. You really put my knowledge to the spot here, but I think it was the 11th of January that the lower leagues and obviously women's football as well was suspended for three weeks. And then I think the 29th of January, uh, that was extended by two weeks. And then obviously on Monday, uh, we had the news that it's been pushed back. I think the next decision's on March the 1st, um, off the top of my head. So it's kind of been... People get hope towards like the end of that deadline, and then they get told, you know, it's extending again. I think it's imperative for me to say that, and I'm sure everyone shares the same views that the most important thing here is, you know, the public health and suppressing the virus. And I think everyone can appreciate that. I don't think anyone in Scottish football is saying it's putting football over um, the the health aspect here. And I don't think anyone's saying, you know, it's, it's worth bringing football back if we get 10,000 10, more cases. You know, it's, it's, that's certainly not the case. But I think we're looking at it from a different view. Uh, from football, I think 
in terms of the news on Monday, I know from speaking to the clubs and speaking to players and, and people at clubs and managers, chairman, etc. Over the last few weeks, I believe it was quite positive. Uh, the viewpoint from some people in League One, League Two, regarding getting back to playing, just due to the simple fact that they did need to mm. test their players um, in accordance with you know the clubs in, in the Championship, uh, for example. I think a point of view contention for me is going back to the original date. I think it was 11th of January when, or before then, sorry, when, when football was stopped, that championship clubs were allowed to return um, with testing, but League One and League Two clubs weren't allowed to come back. But even more so, they weren't even given the option uh, at that stage to test their players because, you know, as we've seen or as we've heard, they've all agreed to that now. And that comes with a great financial burden to test their players every week. You know, I, I believe that some clubs are probably better off financially if they didn't test at all and just went into hibernation or whatever until we could come back. So I think clubs, League One and League Two clubs are probably a bit aggrieved that they weren't A, provide that option or B, communicated with before that original decision-making was in place. And I think that's a, a fair bone of contention for those clubs to have. And... I mean, people will look at it and say, well, why are championship clubs allowed to play in League One, League Two clubs aren't when they're agreeing to the same testing protocols? If you're looking at reasons why, I mean, I, I've seen the part-time, full-time argument raised. I mean, there's part-time teams in the championship, there's full-time teams in, in League One and Queen's Park in League Two. So for me, that doesn't really cut it for me because, you know, you can be a, you can be a full-time player. Uh, but you can still be living with your, your girlfriend, your, your wife, you have kids as well. So you, you it's all well and good being in this full-time bubble, but you're going home and you're and you're not no longer in the bubble. Your your missus could be out uh, working all day in a, in a school or or whatever. So it's a uh, it's a real strange but I can understand why why clubs are certainly aggrieved at this stage. Yeah, so, so you Gavin, just just to bring a point that you and Keith John mentioned, you know, the word bubble. It's not actually a bubble. There's no. no such thing as a bubble at this level. A bubble is, for instance, the England cricket team through in Sri Lanka and they're staying in the one hotel, staying with each other, they're not seeing anyone else. That's a proper bubble. Even our Premier League clubs aren't in a bubble. They're, they're going home to see their families at night, etc. So I, I don't think the term, you know, whilst it's a generic term, bubble, I, I don't think it's actually, you know, uh, relevant at, at, at this level. I think that's a really good point there, George. And I, I think that, you know, we, you're just as likely to catch something going to the shops as you are anything else, you know, and people still have to go to Tesco as all these sort of things. So uh, I totally agree with that sort of summary there. Ewan, I'm going to come back to you just quickly then. So if you were to be put in the spot and if you were to be asked to provide communications with these sort of messages, what would be the things that you would look to do? And I know this is a big question that, you know, <laughs> Not a lot of people have been able to, to get right, but what do you think the things that are, are missing and what are the things you think that could be done to try and help, you know, make this a little bit more transparent? I can see everyone's like, come on, you have an answer for us because Scottish football's missed this for about 20 years now. So <laughs> if you can do it, may that be ideal. I'm not a PR expert. There's people who are much better placed to are involved in the, in the this process uh, at the moment. I wouldn't name them, obviously, but I think communication has been an issue. I think communi- you've got to kind of separate, in my view, communication with the clubs and then communication with the general public because there's only so much you can you can do with the general public but I think it's more important the clubs were communicated with and then they can 
tell their fans off the back of that um, because you can only put out a statement really, can't you? You can't really communicate um, in too many better ways. Another thing is as well, especially the, the last decision, which we got this week, I think that's certainly more a government a government decision um, than it was the SFA and SPFL, which has been different in, uh, in other situations. But I don't want to get involved in kind of politics when we're talking about football, but uh, I'll leave that to other, other people because they don't really mix too well. But I think that the club should have been communicated with clearer. I know there was a famous uh, Zoom call where you know certain chairman um, alleged that their microphones were turned off, uh, which is pretty remarkable, uh, to be honest. And you know they're they're certainly entitled to their opinion on that. But I can understand it's a difficult thing to communicate. But I think communicating with the clubs better and, and allowing the clubs to communicate with their support, your individual support. Would have been a better thing to do. I think it is difficult to kind of communicate. Nobody's going to be happy, are they, when you get a message that you can't watch your team play or football's cancelled. So it's a, it is a difficult situation they find themselves in. But I think certainly communicating with the clubs and perhaps then having, you know, you know, I know there's a government meeting every day, but I don't think there's been too many questions about football. So that that's certainly a platform where that could have been addressed at a, at a higher level. Um, and then the SFA and the SPFL obviously could, could potentially do something like that as well. But I think communication with the clubs who can then communicate with their own support, who, let's not forget, have ploughed thousands of pounds into to help their clubs kind of survive and, and keep going through this period. So I think it's important that the supporters don't feel, you know, pardon the pun, shortchanged. Yeah, and Bob will definitely get his turn to talk about being shortchanged. So, um, yeah, I think that's a really good summary there. And, and Chris, in the chat, has said that communication has been such a massive issue and he agrees with the points that have been raised so far. Danny, I want to come on to can you. I, sorry, can I just say yeah. something? You were saying yeah. communication, it's hard, obviously easier to do with the clubs, whatever, more detail. I don't think it's that hard to give more detail in their statements that they're giving at the moment. It's, we regrettably inform you that it's been cancelled. Why? Tell us. Just just a couple of sentences, right? If I don't agree with it, okay, then we can have that debate. If I don't like it, that's fine. It's there. The reason's there. I can have a debate about it. But if you're just giving us nothing, and I don't think they're giving us anything, it's too weak. There's nothing. There's no information. For for me as a player, I'm not on the board. I'm not. In the, I'm just. What's going on? Where's the clarity? I'm a teacher, and I communicate with people. I, I, I'm concise. I'm clear. They get paid, I don't know, as much more money than we all get paid. Surely that's an easy enough thing to do to just clearly explain in a couple of paragraphs the reasons why, and they're not doing it. Yeah, sorry, I, I, I do agree with you there, Danny. I meant in terms of how they can communicate. It has to be through a statement, but the, you know, what's in that statement could certainly be more clear and concise and clear up exactly the reasons why, for example, the Championship clubs are allowed to play, League One, League Two aren't. I think everyone would be in agreement that playing without testing at the moment is impossible. I don't think many people would agree that's the way forward. I know some people would argue that cases have been low in you know, the West of Scotland League, the Lowland League, but then you, the caveat to that is that you know, there's not been testing uh, taking place, so it's, you're less likely to find cases. So I think we have to, I certainly agree that you know, providing clarity on, on why the leagues aren't allowed to come back is certainly something... Uh, they could do, but certainly they could still do that by letting the clubs on, letting the clubs explain it to their supporters. Yeah, I think you can see there. So uh, Chris Rampant FN has said uh, we need reasons rather than statements. I think we all completely agree with that as a 
as a general thought process. And Andrew's also said that the communication issues feel so deep-rooted in Scottish football long before the pandemic. That's probably as true a statement as you'll read about Scottish football. Um, but Danny, just to come to you, mate, then. So let's let's talk a little bit about you and the reality as a player. Um, how difficult has it been for you, your teammates, the club? What's your sort of overarching view on the on the situation? Training is really frustrating, I think. It'll vary from player to player. But from who I've spoke to, everybody within the game, my teammates, is a hunger to get back. And it was the hope they sort of killed you this time around. If it's the last time, yeah, of course, we'll get on with it. But it was there. There was murmurings coming out. Oh, it looks good from papers and from whatever. It looks good this time. We're testing. It's going to be no different to the rest. Cases are going down. The vaccines got rushing through. It looks good. And then that's pulled away again. So it's a it's a frustration, really a real frustration. And in terms of keeping yourself mentally right and physically right, it's difficult this time. And last time it was summer. It's easy to go out doing the running. I'm looking at my window now. It's <laughs> Eight, eight inches of snow, no. And I live in a second floor flat, so I can't be doing don't know Zumba in my, in my in my in my living room. So it's it's difficult this time round to keep yourself mentally and physically right. So I was just praying that this time round it would go back to training in a week or two's time. But it's, I feel that like the carpet's just been pulled right underneath my feet again, and I feel other players are probably the same. Um, and I'm in a, like I'm in a good position in terms of I've got a solid like solid day job. I don't fully rely on the football. That other players do. I know hundreds of players that do um, rely on it. I rely on it to a certain extent, but rely on it from a financial point of view. Those players, I really feel for their, their contracts ticking. Will they get another move? They're thinking about that worry. Um, so, yeah, mentally and physically draining at the moment. That would be my, the way I would sum it up. Yeah, and I think that's probably the way that everyone has, you know, some sort of connection with the current situation. That's probably an overarching theme throughout. In terms of you as an individual, then, Danny, how do you try and stay focused and ready for the moment that they say football is coming back? How how do you get ready for that sort of mental? Is there things or steps that you can take? I think different varies from person to person. What works for me is a routine. And every morning I'm getting up. I'm, obviously, I'm not doing my Zumba, but I'm maybe doing <laughs> maybe maybe do a bit maybe do a bit of yoga or some kind of um, I work in the morning and I'm going out Dalkey for flex tracks close to me so I'm going around and I'm doing 5k's as usual 5k 10k times um, I'm not sharing them on Twitter because I'll probably get someone taking the piss I'm not fast enough but the, that's what I'm trying to do just to keep myself myself routine because exercise is one thing for me that I've always used as a coping mechanism whenever I'm feeling anxious or feeling like I'm getting life's getting away from me so I would I would recommend all players get some kind of routine in them but I know from speaking to people who aren't dealing well with it so I am not dealing as well as that. I don't have that routine and the, their diet's probably hitting the wayside. They're probably just thinking, oh, fuck this, sorry my language. And yeah, it's okay. I, I said that off air that Bob would be the first, but I went and done it. And having a couple of drinks just as a, a way to, to cope. I think that's not just football, I think that's people all over the place. But as a footballer, when your body needs to be in a, in a, certain, a certain shape to, to be able to compete when we come back, um, probably not the best, best thing to do, but... And no players are doing that. So, and you can't blame them because players are still normal human beings like the rest of us. And I think that's something that's often forgot about. As soon as you're a footballer, that you're this some almighty status above, and that you won't have the same emotions or feelings or concerns or worries. It's just a different level. So, yeah, I think yeah. that's really good. And you've got a question there. So, BR55 is well, it's a statement. I guess it's it's also not good for players to be stopping and starting going to see a lot more injuries if this keeps happening. I can't say I know enough about that sort of side of it, but I would imagine that statement probably rings true. 
Yeah, I thought that question would come up, and as I don't have the expertise to know if that's scientifically true or not, but it it probably holds some weight if you're out with the game for so long, your body's not used to it, and then going straight back in. I'm I'm of the opinion that I don't need another preseason. I don't want another mini preseason. Just just get the games going back. We'll all be at the same level. couple of fatties running around in the middle of the park we'll be, all, we'll be all over the place but I don't think we can have I don't think we can have um, another pre-season because it, it, it would just it would just push the season back even further injuries become a problem and then you I'm getting ahead of myself but then you worry 27 game season what's the chances of that we can have to do two games in a week that's not going to work for part-time players then then injuries will probably pile up so Danny not, how, how yeah. long do you think you need how long would you think you would need Training wise, before you get back to actually playing to get yourself up to full full fitness, varies in the player. For me, I genuinely feel I'd be a week, a week. It's just match sharpness. That's all I miss. I'm fit, as I say. I'm going around the track. Um, I'm playing in the snow. I'm doing my zumba, but I'm I'm physically I physically feel fine. But I know of players who away from football don't have much uh, appetite for fitness and will take two to three weeks, four weeks possibly to get to a state where they're able to play. Um, so it, I think it does depend on the on the player themselves. Yeah, and again, I think Danny, you're you're being put on the sort of player pedestal here. And there's uh, EJQ1983. I said it's really important to hear about the impact this has had on the players. It seems to be a little bit forgotten. And Danny, there was a, a thing that we were sort of well, I say it, we I was uh, speaking about with the rest of the guys at Pure Football about you know the, the concerns about long term impacts on players, for example. Had this happened to you at a point in your career, you know, just before you signed for Forfa for the first time, what what sort of impact do you think that's having on the the younger generation of players? And and maybe George, I don't know if you'll have any sort of thoughts on this as well with your your um you know working at BSC. If you can come in after Danny, just with any thoughts around about that as well. If, if I take the example he said, if I was at Forfa when it was just 20, 11, 20, 12, if that was to have happened when I was unproven. Um, didn't have any kind of reputation in the lower leagues. I would have, I wouldn't have had the opportunity. I would have been that with me gone. I wouldn't have had the opportunity. So, if, so if people in that position lost players that are better than me uh, who have started lost young players um, having key years in their development. Um, again, good chance of them being lost. Um, and again, it comes. I think when it does after the summer, when everything does come back, I think. Teams are less likely to take a chance on a young player because they'll only have a certain amount of funds or they'll have loads of experienced players wanting contracts. So, from a young player's point, of view, I know it's all hypothetical, but um, I don't. I'm not the most optimistic. Um, mm. I'm about it from that, but again, I'm, that's pure speculation. Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense what you're saying there, George. What about you? What in terms of from the the club aspect, what sort of concerns do you have over the younger talent that you've got at your your club and and trying to support them throughout this. Yeah, it's it's a major issue as Danny's touched on, Gavin. I mean, you know, I really fear we'll lose players through this. I really do. Uh, the time we get playing again, it'll be you know between one thing and another. It could be 12, 12 14 months before players have kicked a ball in earnest. I know we had that you know start in October through January. However, if you're a player who wasn't regularly playing and you're a younger player who wasn't, you know, you're waiting for your chance, you know, you've lost that chance and I, I think they'll get sort of, you know, they'll become disillusioned with the game, Gavin, I'll be honest with you. I think you can genuinely lose players here. 
Uh, what percentage that 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 will be? I I don't know. I couldn't put a figure on it, but I, I genuinely worry that players will go. Younger players will find something else to do. They'll you know they'll have other interests. Uh, I think they maybe just fall out of love with the game yeah, just because you know of the lack of you know activity surrounding it. You know the, the lack of playing. You know players at that age need to play. They need to play. I mean, Danny will tell you, I'm sure, you know, all you want to do is kick a ball at that age, you know, and, you know, taking that opportunity away from them, I think will just, you know, eh, drive some of them away to do other things, perhaps, and find other other activities. Yeah, I think that's that's probably really fair. And I, I think for me, I think it would be so easy for people, especially younger players just now, when you're seeing, you know, bigger clubs uh, furloughing their their youth teams, how does that make you feel in terms of your connection to the club when you're the only part of the club that's on furlough? I think that's pretty disappointing. And also, it's already difficult enough to get youth football in Scotland with the way that it's set up. So I think we are in a really difficult situation. It's the sort of thing that could potentially, you know, whilst it's great that we've we've qualified for the Euros, what does this mean for the talents, you know, in five, six, seven years' time, how how much further behind are they in terms of their development? Only time will tell and, and hope there's a way to, to fix this. Danny, just finally in terms of the, the playing aspect as well, so, you, you know, from a, a part-time player's aspect, do you think that this will potentially see players consider retiring sooner or giving up the boots sooner as, as I guess, sort of what George was alluding to as well? And, and Kieran in the chat has said something very similar about Ian Flanagan at Alloa, arguably Player of the Year, early retirement as football and COVID changes love and desire for the game. Any thoughts on that, Danny? Um, yeah, I can see people that, especially people that are, that have moved from full-time to part-time football uh, in that transition phase, just just going to think, forget it. Um, if they don't have that that love and drive for football, which a lot of full-time players, it's a job to them, and they lose that love, and they come to part-time, it's still just a job to them. They're going to be thinking, some of them are going to be thinking, no, nah, just hang up the boots and get going here and, and dedicate some time to, to getting a career up and running. Um also takes takes a year or two, a year off their, their playing career. They're getting older anyway, um, a lot of these players and they're just it's not worth it. Not worth it. And, and playing in front and playing in front of no fans, it's better than 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 not it's better than not playing at all. But it's it's pretty weird. It's like playing in a training game and it doesn't have the mm. same feel. That for me I've enjoyed the the season that I've played. It's been better than nothing, obviously, but it's definitely missed something. And I think that's another factor that's probably taken a lot of the the joy, enjoyment out of it for for some players. So those those things combined maybe see a decline in, in, in people hang up their boots up early. Can, yeah. can I just quickly jump in there? Because that was something yep, I was going to ask. Mm-hmm. Well, like, I've been in, in in some games for Edinburgh City this year where there's no fans, and it sounds terrible. It feels terrible. How does it actually feel for a lot of the players? Like you said, there, it's not good for you. How does it feel for other players around the league? Because you're always going to hear like a melony noise. You're going to hear certain shouts, some funny and some not so funny, probably. How does that affect your performance? Uh, numbers of ways. I think this it feels a training game, right? And although you, you feel like you're giving 100% and you, you, you're telling yourself you're giving 100%, sometimes you need that kick up the arse from a fan. Or you need that you know, that roar, or when you give the ball away, and you're like, all right, I've got to get going. Is that when you get a goal with that bit of adrenaline? It probably lifts the tempo a bit more. There's that. On the other side, there's probably players that have uh, 
probably look better without the fans because there'll be fans that'll be getting on their backs. There's the pressure off. I've seen, I know of certain players, um, I know probably my last three years, fans haven't been too kind of me the last few years. So there's nobody shouting, get that prick off or whatever. It's, it's, so there is that there is that factor, and there's probably some players that have managed to relax a bit and, and, and improve. But I think as a as a general sense, as a generalisation, I think the game has suffered a wee bit. The tempo's not quite the same standard. It's a wee bit slower. I don't know. I know you get, you've been working as journalists on the side, and it might it, it, it might appear that I don't know. Does it appear any slower? I, I don't know, but it feels that way. You and I don't know if that was a question for you there, mate. Yeah, I mean, I was, I've been, at, I was at Celtic Park on Saturday. I've been at Ibrox this season, so you know, near enough sixty thousand capacity stadiums, and it's, it's, it's utterly surreal, you know, to be there. It's obviously a privilege uh, to be back in football grounds, and that's a, that's a given. It's important to say that, but it's not, it's just not the same at all. Um, and you can tell the kind of tempo drops, and you can hear the managers on the sidelines a lot, which can be interesting uh, at certain games. But you know, one thing they always say is try to up the tempo, up the tempo. And there does seem to be real breaks in the games. There's not a lot of I'm not seeing a lot of challenges going. That seems like a weird thing to say, but it seems like it's quite pedestrian. It is like a it is like a training game as well. And even that even at home, if I've been watching it on PPV, it's you know, I've watched Fistle a couple of times on PPV and it's it's really hard to kind of get the same emotions you would normally, even if you're watching your club on TV. I don't know. How, how how Bob would think about that watching his team, but it's just it's difficult. Like I, at the start of the season, I went to a couple of Thistle games uh, as in a working capacity, but then I kind of stopped going because you know I felt a bit guilty that other fans who followed them weren't able to watch them. Uh, it's just a, it's just a weird feeling all around. It's it, it is really strange. Time for a short pause here and a reminder that if you're enjoying what you're hearing, you can subscribe on any podcast app to the Pure Football Podcast, engage with us on social media, especially Twitter, and join us for live streams on Twitch. Just search Pure Football. This coming week, starting on Monday the 15th of February, we have a busy schedule of content for you. Monday Night Football on Twitch features freelance reporter and Scottish football analyst Craig Vickers. Our flagship Pure Football podcast will be released on Tuesday morning as normal. On Tuesday night, we'll be live on Twitch with our La Liga and Bundesliga experts for a Champions League special. Depending on the weather and any match postponements, the Pure Championship podcast with Chris and Cami may be out on Wednesday morning. On Thursday night, we'll be live on Twitch again, interviewing Falkirk co-managers David McCracken and Lee Miller. And on Saturday the 20th of February, we'll have another of our Pure Goals watch-along shows live on Twitch. But for now, back to our lower league suspension special. So, George, I want to come to you and get some of your expertise around about, you know, being one of the the senior figures within the the Scottish football pyramid right now. Um, Give me your feelings on the situation, the communication and, and any sort of concerns that you have at the moment. Uh, I mean, from a communication point of view, Gavin, I mean, it's it stepped up in the last few weeks. Uh, the SFA, I have to give them credit, uh, have been really proactive in organising meetings with various levels, uh, different, uh, different personnel around the leagues. You know, uh, we had a meeting uh, on Tuesday ourselves in the Highland League, had a meeting with, uh, with the SFA, with Petrie, Ian Maxwell and Mike Mulraney. Uh, and... You know, whilst we knew what was going to be said, whilst we knew it was coming, 
it's maybe still good to hear it from the horse's mouth. Uh, that was the follow-up to a meeting we'd had a few weeks previous where they tried, they wanted to understand our position, where we were at in terms of our fixturing, where we were at in terms of being able to play and able to come back. You know, uh, one, one thing that was made clear to us, though, was, you know, was, was the testing aspect, you know, and would the, the Lowland and Highland League be able to test? It's not possible. It's not financially viable for any clubs in our leagues. Uh, so we've been sort of investigating and asking about the, the lateral flow testing, uh, you know, which is obviously uh, more economical, shall we say. And I, I think Division 1 and Division 2 clubs would, would welcome that as well. Uh, unfortunately, it, it's not seen as, as, as reliable at the moment, Gavin, uh, for us to be able to, to pursue that. So they're still, they're still insisting on the, the PCR testing for the foreseeable. And I think Ewan said it earlier on, the prospect of any football coming back without PCR testing at the moment uh, is, is, is probably a wee bit away, I have to say. But getting back to the, the original point, the communication has really stepped up in the last few weeks. I have to give credit yeah. to the Scottish Football Association on that front uh, in terms of they've kept us informed. They try to you know tell us what's happening and what they know through their, their daily JRG meetings. I think one 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 thing's really important to, to point out here, Gavin. We're relying on people, predominantly football people who are not virologists, they're not experts in any way, to give us information on a pandemic that nobody's an expert on, apart, you know, obviously out with the, you know, the the government advisors. Yeah. So whilst I can see, you know, a fair bit of criticism coming at the, the associations, etc., we've got to realise that we're all in the same boat here. You know, nobody's an expert in this. You know, we're relying on people who previously in their previous existence would never thought about a global pandemic that's going to stop football. So, you know, I think we need to cut people some slack at certain points because, you know, they aren't experts. They're giving us the best information they can, given to them by, you know, the top people at the government, you know. So it's a really difficult one. Uh, you know, I have to say, I've seen it from both sides of the fence and it's, it's a real... It's a real, it's a real tough one to, to handle. So I can see, you know, why people are saying, well, the communication has to be better. But I suppose they're only as good as the communication they're receiving from from the Scottish government, you know. And but, you know, I can see why people are saying, you know, the the, the quality of the information is maybe not there. Maybe they don't know. It. Maybe they're passionate. But they know. I don't know. Uh, but so for that point of view, you know, it's been better in the last the last few weeks in terms of communicating with the leagues, Gavin. Uh, so okay. yeah, although we're still further forward. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I can see that. Uh, so come on, you Spurs, Chris. Uh, our under twenty ones. Uh, sorry, our under twenties Lowland League. De- sorry, our under twenties Lowland Development League group. That's hard to say. Haven't played for a year now. A whole year lost without competition and only a few training sessions between lockdowns. Lots of potential loss this year. I think that's got to be, you know, as the the chairperson of the of the Lowland League. How does that make you feel, George? No, listen, it doesn't make me feel good at all because you know what what we've done. This goes back to my other point. We could potentially lose players at that age to to, to other stuff. You know, I mean, our development teams are the future of our first teams, if you like. You know, mm-hmm. and you know, loads of clubs who are on smaller budgets rely on players coming through their youth setup. Uh, and aspire 
to to have a youth set up that supplies their first team in future. So to lose a full season and to lose players for a full season, it's, it's, it's heartbreaking to be honest with you. It's, nobody wants to see it. It's, it's it's an awful state of affairs. I wish it could be better. I wish it could be different. But unfortunately, it's just, uh, you know, we're, we're prisoners due to the pandemic at the moment. Yeah, I think that's that's a really good way to put it and a, and a sad way to put it now, I guess. George, in terms of the the funding and the grants that have been handed out, can you just help us understand a little bit about how that's flowed throughout the Lowland League and, and how that's supported the clubs as as you're aware of? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, each club in the Lowland League received thirty three thousand, Gavin, uh, thirty three thousand. That wasn't entirely made up of the government grant money. Uh, that was partly funded by a deal done with Camelot, the National Lottery people. Uh, they put in uh, a, a, an amount of money, I think it was 1.5 million, and that was to cover tier five and tier six teams. So part of the funding we received was partly government grant money and partly uh, Camelot's uh, national lottery money. So each team at tier five uh, received £33,000 each. And I think that dropped to tier six from memory, it's about 12500 I think each team got at, at tier six, uh, and if your team didn't play this particular season, that that money got then dropped again. So mm-hmm. you actually only got the full amount if your team was actually active and playing or, or took part in, in in the games. You know, I'm obviously thirty three thousand is a substantial amount of money for for some teams in uh, five. You know, it will cover it will cover you know the season. There are a few teams with bigger budgets, you know, who it may not cover, but I think you've got to be fair and give everyone the same amount of money, you know, and you know we're, we're grateful for it. Don't get me wrong; it's a, we're absolutely grateful for it. But again, that won't last forever. So, you know, it's like everything else. You know, we we all go back to 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 the pot and looking for more. And at this moment in time, from what I'm led to believe, there is no more at the moment. So we have to make do with what what we've received. Yeah, sounds sounds I guess dire straits if we can't get this this season back up and going. And and one of the questions I really wanted to get your opinion on, George, was what are the risks if the season isn't played out in full? What does it mean to the the pyramid system if we see the same as last year and there's there's no promotion, there's no opportunity for Lowland League clubs to make that step up? It's it's potentially disastrous to have no promotion and relegation two years in a row, Gavin. Listen, you know, I take I take on board everything that's going on just now, and you know, we're on a wide a wider crisis, you know, and this is maybe lower down the pecking order of priorities. However, you know, our priority this season, given the constraints we're working under, is always to be to to produce a champion club to enter into the playoff at the end of the season, whatever that may be. I think it's vital, you know. I mean, if we don't do it this year, it'll be three years. Since we last had a, you know, had a, a potential playoff game, you know, uh, um, so I think you know it's it's vital we make every effort to get this season finished in order to produce a champion club from both the Highland League and the Lowland League to play Team Forty Two from from the SPFL, whoever that may be. It's obviously complicated further with the fact that you know the SPFL or you know same. You know, now that they've been delayed again, 27 games is probably unrealistic for them. Did they go down to 18 games? I don't know if that's a viable option for them. 
However, we we remain resolute in our view of this. You know, whoever uh, you know, however many games is played, and if it's a viable number of games, the SPFL should be supplying a club to take part in the playoff game because we will take part. We will supply a champion club, and the Highland League will supply a champion club. There is no reason not to. Yeah, I think that's that's exactly it. Danny, coming to you quickly then. So, what would be your uh, ideal scenario, or what do you think is a realistic scenario in terms of the amount of games played before the season finishes? Or, you know, hopefully it does finish. Let's put that out there. But do you think that you know you you raise some concerns about a twenty-seven game, uh, you know, fixture list now? Um, what would what do you think the options could be? I don't think twenty-seven games is possible. Um, I think it's got to be eighteen. I think eighteen. You've played each other twice, um, home and away. It's probably as fair as you can as you can get it, if I'm being honest. And then we'll see what happens then. In the championship will have played twenty-seven, so there might be some argument about the playoffs and who finishes second bottom. And then, as you said, George, and he's worried about the 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 playoff the team from League Two going. I genuinely think we'll drag their heels again about this. I, I can't see them. Um, Going for this playoff thing, I genuinely think this would be a Ferrari over the playoffs again. I, I I can see it. I'm already I'm already envisaging it. But 18 games is the only thing I can remit, think for for League One and League Two. It's only the viable option. You've got squads of 17, 18 players. You can't play two two games a week when they're working. Um, every the week, it's not viable. But I am, as I say, concerned about the, the playoffs, just like George's. Yeah, I think it would be a, a bit disastrous if, if this wasn't able to happen again. And mm-hmm. yeah, we'll just need to wait and see. And hopefully there's some sort of solution and, and that the you know the Scottish FA, the SPFL and the Scottish government take notice of the the pressures that it's putting on all the individuals throughout this. And whilst it's not necessarily the, their fault, there's clearly been options presented by clubs to try and get games going ahead. Uh, and to try and get things as normal as possible, and I think that's that's the stage where we're at. You know, everyone wants to get football back, and if, I think that you know this is probably the only time ever in Scottish football history where clubs have, you know, been willing to work together to try and get something, you know, on a united front. Um, and I, I think it would be disappointing if if we couldn't. And and Bob, if I come to you from the sort of fans' perspective, how have you felt throughout this? How's How's this made you feel, you know, not being able to watch Edinburgh City? You know, uh, you spoke before on, you know, the Terrace TV about your your love for City and how that sort of came about. And uh, I just want to get a bit of your, your understanding of your emotions and, and your feelings throughout this. Um, obviously, I've been in a slightly more privileged position because I've been used to get to a couple of games through the social media. But I, I know from my own perspective and, and speaking to friends and engaging other fans on social media that, I think we just feel a bit kind of like lost, you know, a bit let down. Um, communications came up from everybody. Uh, my first three things I, I put in notes was communication, communication, communication. <laughs> and I just think, I, I, I just think, there's no kind of full explanation as to why this shutdowns happened. You know, football is is and other sports as well, not just football. They're central to a lot of people's lives whether that be fans or players or journalists or whoever, and they kind of centre their, their, their life around a Saturday or whenever their games are. They go and see their friends, they maybe go to the pub, they do some kind of social activity around it, and then that's continually gets taken away. I mean, it's been difficult since the beginning of it. Um, we've had some streaming, and streaming's not ideal. 
although I've always been quite keen to try and get like an SPFL TV, so to speak, where you have something like NHL TV or NBA TV, where you have a centralised streaming kind of deal and you can pick and choose your games and whatnot. So this might that might be a good thing, but it's not the same. It doesn't feel right. You still have some kind of communication with your friends and, and fans that go through maybe like Zoom chats and all this kind of thing. It, it just it's, it's difficult because I think a lot of people use their Saturdays to, to, to vent as Danny probably knows better than anybody else. <laughs> um, you, you know, you vent at referees, you vent at players, or you're there, you kind of use that to kind of cheer on people. You know, you, you've got a love for a team. Um, some people treat teams like it's their family. You know, it's like your club is yours. And then when you get that taken away and you can't see them, that's a massive bit of, like, that's a, that's a massive gap and it's a good bit of pain for a lot of people. Um, and, I, and I just don't think the authorities have ever really kind of engaged with fans at any real level about how it affects them. Um, you maybe see it in other countries like Germany, their fans' and engagement's a bit kind of greater. But I think at times fans are almost thought of as an afterthought, uh, especially the higher up the chain you go. I mean, it, it's like I said on the, the, the interview in the terrace, I think a lot of fans are often seen as, as customers rather than fans. And I think this is what this kind of shows that. And I think overall, it's just difficult. It's it's a difficult scenario. I've never been a huge one for the Slip Fans In campaign because I know how difficult it was to get people in and case rates and all this kind of stuff. But then when you're seeing things like at the minute, the case rate now is lower than it was in October. Uh, 20 clubs have agreed to test in. Simply, why are we not getting to see our team? There's nothing coming from the government. Um, indeed, I watched the, the, the initial briefing with, with the First Minister when the local Dumfries and Galloway uh, journalist had asked on behalf of Dalbeaty Star, what's your plans for part-time football? And she essentially said, I'm fine with it, I'll just carry on. And then two, days, two three days later, it was like, that's it, done. And we're sitting there going, what? How did that happen? And I know from my contact with the, with the club and whatnot, um, I'm going to be breaking a murder or anything, but it was just as shocked to them as it was to us. Um, and that's not good enough either. So we're just wondering as fans how this is going to happen, how this is going to affect our clubs, how this is going to affect us personally, and why we're not really getting any answers. I mean, if the clubs if the clubs were told, because obviously, like there's George saying, maybe like that's what they're getting from the government, but you don't know. Well, that's part of the problem. You don't know. Why do you not know? And because of that, that ends up filtering down to fans, and then fans are just going to get to that point like you said with players, they're going to find other ways to entertain themselves on a Saturday. Well, that's, 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 that's going to be devastating for clubs if that carries on. That seems to be, you know, the sort of thought Greg the Well fan has said, are fans realistically going to buy virtual season tickets in the same numbers as they did last summer? Well, but I don't want to put you on the spot in terms of answer for all fans, but can you understand why people would have doubts about doing that? And, you know, I think, you know, we've, we've got still people on furlough, we've still got people not with their full income, We've got, you know, people being asked to pay for a product that they're probably not going to get to see the full, you know, uh, thing for. So it seems like a really difficult ask for clubs and fans. And and George, I don't know if you want to come in off the back of that in terms of from a BSC perspective. I know that there'll be things we'll be trying to work through, but what your thoughts are around about that? Um, from our perspective, I would... It's really a fan's choice. If anybody decides that they can't afford it, then they can't afford it. And football, and in, in, in current times, has to take a back seat. I know we're all talking about football it's because we love the game, but 
there's other people have priorities, and that's first and foremost as long as you can say feed yourself or you know or, or manage to keep your head above water, and then if football can comes after that, then that's fine. I mean, I can totally understand if people don't want to put their money into season tickets again, you know. I've got friends who are, say, Hearts and Hibs fans and they're shelling out 400, 500 pounds for a season ticket to sit and watch it on their television. And if you're a Hearts fan, you're slightly shortchanged again because you're getting a lot of your away games on BBC Scotland. So then that kind of adds up. So your, your per game for your ticket is quite really, really expensive. Um, but I can understand if people decide to say I'm not paying it. I mean, nobody wants to sit and watch it on TV. People will probably understand why you have to. But it's going to be difficult for, for clubs to try and use that emotion again to say, look, this will help your club. When a lot of fans have put a lot of money in, whether it be through season tickets or merchandise or GoFundMe campaigns or anything like that, your club lotto, and then to then be asked again without ever knowing if they're going to get back in the ground this year or next year. I suppose in seasons, I guess, but you know what I mean? Um, it's, it's a tough ask for a lot of fans. I mean, I'm fortunate I can, you've got a pretty cheap season ticket. But I, I can understand why fans wouldn't want to put their hand in their pocket again. It's difficult. And it's, it's difficult for fans just as it is for anybody else. Yeah, I think that's really well put again there, Bob. George, if I can come to you from your perspective on how you think fan bases can be engaged and any personal information you can share in about things you're doing at BSC. Yeah, well, I wish we had some fans. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, no, that, that, that's probably really unfair. Listen, we've, we've built up, we're doing a slow process. Uh, no, listen, in general, we've been really proactive at the club and uh, do you know going through with the uh, Twitch with uh, Moza, uh, Moza plays. We're, uh, that's been really, really good. Uh, we were one of the first to do that, I think, you know, broadcast our games live on Twitch, and it's been hugely successful. Uh, yeah, I've been amazed by the numbers that we've had, uh, you know, watching us on a Saturday when we were lucky enough to be playing. Uh, so that's been really, really good for us, you know. Uh, we don't charge for it, we just ask for donations, uh, you know. But again, is that a, long, a good long-term business strategy? Probably not. <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, clubs are going to have to find a way to survive somehow. This is a, you know, this is going to go on. You know, with no fans being allowed through the turnstiles. Uh, so, for that point of view, listen, you, we're always looking at ways of to, to innovate. You know, ways to to make things. You know, encourage the fan engagement, etc. Uh, I think I think there's a there's a there's a bigger point here as well, though, and it might affect Danny. And Danny might want to reply to this. You know, if if fans choose. To, put their money elsewhere and the other activities or etc. Clubs are going to really seriously have to look at their budgets and clubs are going to have to look at what they pay players. That, I mean, that, that's just, that's one of the biggest outgoings and I know it's not something you probably want to hear, Danny, but is it something you've thought about? Is it something that, you know, you think, well, clubs are going to have to cut somewhere? And usually the first one is players. Definitely. Definitely something <laughs> I've thought about. I love football. I love yeah. football, um, but East Fife went in the club I supported as a boy. Um, it's, it's one of the things that it's like money is, money is important to players. As I say, a lot of these players that will lose to the game will be because they're not going to travel however many else to play for East Fife or play for or, or Dundee or anything like that. But you will get, I will, for, for example, I will certainly still play no matter what level I'm at, what wage I'm on, I'm going to play because I love football. But you will get players that will that don't particularly like football and if they're taking 
cut off 50 quid, 100 quid a week less than they were getting. I, I, I can tell you there'll be a lot that, that just go, nah, not for me. And then we talked about, I mean, we talked about young players not getting an opportunity. There you go. Maybe they can step in then if, if you lose yeah. some of these because there's a lot of older pros on, on decent money at uh, part-time teams. You'd be surprised about some of the wages, I'd imagine. Um, some clubs and they'll they'll just go, nah, not not for me um, after that. So well, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. I'll still play the way. I'll still play. So don't worry about that. East Fife, <laughs> you're not losing me yet. <laughs> uh, I, I can see here, this is a, a question from XWJD. So when do lower league clubs expect to be back? I guess that's the million dollar question. Uh, I guess that's supposed to be cases decreasing pretty significantly and less than 5% positive rate. It seems a nonsense. It isn't back. I guess we we don't know the answer to that question. We are all of the same opinion that it is nonsense, really. And again, with the caveat of none of us are above this global pandemic and none of us are not taking it seriously, but it is absolutely bonkers that there's no clarity around the situation. And, you know, we've, we've probably only got about 10 minutes left before we wrap up, so I encourage anyone that's watching to fire over any questions that they want to ask individually to any of the panel. But guys, I just want to to get a couple of your perspective, and anyone can jump in on this if or all of you at different points. What do you think's been the the hardest thing for you to adjust to? Not being there. It's very simple. It's just not being there, not having the routine of going on a Saturday, um, and and that's been the most difficult thing. And I think after that is just there, there is no kind of clear path or clear roadway or anything like that to to explanations. I mean, obviously I'm a fan of other sports, I'm involved in, in bowls and whatnot, um, and the communication from other sports has been vastly better. You know, way, ways to apply for grants, you know, links to government policy and all that kind of stuff, and I don't see football doing that. And my fear is that because, there's been, because it's difficult to adjust and there's not a lot of things going on, and because the communication, certainly from a fan's perspective, has been quite poor, it's just how many people are just going to go, I've had enough. That's me. If you're already teetering or already sick of Scottish football or football in general, how many people are just going to go, that's me. And then the impact that's going to have on the clubs, whether that be players like, as you were saying, like the under-20s. I mean, our under-20s were going great guns last year. Um, some really, really good-looking players coming through. And apart from, obviously, Sam Newman that we signed, we've got nobody, like, we've not seen anybody for over a year. What's going to happen there? How's that going to affect us? It's, it's it's just, I mean, that's the whole thing about having to adjust. It's just the whole thing is just not being there and helping the club out to make sure you've got a club going forward. I think that's the most important thing, really, for our fans' point of view, is being able to make sure that at the end of this, we're still going to have our Saturdays. I think it can work both ways, though, can't it? I mean, you know, I think when fans are back in and the, the games are back on and I'm sure everyone in Scottish football can't wait for a, a boozy away day, whatever that is. You know, it could work both ways. You know, you've got to kind of glass half empty, glass half full. Just going back to what Danny said earlier about how many games, there's no way it's going to be 27 games uh, in League One and League Two. It's impossible because with the, with the playoffs as well, you have to, it has to kind of coincide with the end of the championship season because that finishes at, I believe, it's the 27th of April. So say, say they say they're going to extend. League One, League Two to fit in twenty-seven games, which I don't think is possible. You know, say except at the end of May, then what's it, what's the Championship club going to do? Who's got to play the League One uh, playoffs? Just wait a month with no football, and no training, and just come back and play. Uh, I, I think it'll be eighteen games. Uh, I don't think it's ideal, but uh, it's better enough. And it's also worth 
quickly. I'm not spoke for a while, so I'll have my moment here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> We're quite enjoying it, you actually. On women's football as well, like uh, I don't think we've talked about it, and it often get lost amongst kind of everything else. But there's a case in women's football where you've got essentially three professional sides in the top flight, um, who all have Scotland international players, um, and those players that haven't been allowed to train with their clubs yet, they're allowed to go away and train with the Scotland squad this month. So you've got players who aren't training with their clubs. Who are allowed to go and play with the SFA Scotland essentially, which is utterly bonkers. Like, it, it, you know, they've agreed to test, they're going to pay for testing, they can train, but they're not allowed to train, but they're allowed to go away and play with Scotland. Um, and for those players as well, they must, they obviously must worry about, you know, getting selected because people, in, the girls in England will be playing, they'll be training. So, you know, why wouldn't you go, if you're a coach, you're going to go and pick the players playing, surely. Um, so that's absolutely bonkers, bonkers as well. Like that, 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 I cannot get my head around that. Yeah, that's a, a really good point there, Ewan, and I, I think it is bonkers. I think this full thing is just bonkers, right? That's that's the overarching theme of this current situation, that it's just fucking bonkers, um, <laughs> for a lack of a better word. And, uh, yeah, I think you can see there, so uh, Deck 87 says a great point, Ewan, and he's yes, also... Yeah. <laughs> um, so uh, he said... Have, have we assumed fan loyalty will just pull us through, and is that loyalty turning sour? Yes, that's, that's essentially where we're at. Is that I think a lot of clubs, especially the higher up you change the goal, um, are more reliant on thinking the fans will just blindly pay. Um, if they want to pick on them, I think Hearts can be quite bad for that. Um, I think at times Celtic are quite bad for that as well. As they pull on certain emotional strings and folk will just go, yeah, I'll just chuck the money at you. And then now we're getting to the point where it's, are we going to do that again? How are we going to do that? You know, conspiracy theories will sack Neil Lennon before two weeks before season tickets are going to come out and all that kind of thing. Um, That's a you, good know I mean? <laughs> you know what I mean? But I mean, fa- like fans are loyal. Like football has some of the most loyal fans going, and how like it's going to be difficult just to keep making sure you maintain that loyalty if they can't afford it or they can't go. Um, just because I've seen the question come up from from Chris there, I believe they have extended the under twenty player age limit um, for another year. Uh, I've got. I know someone who's under twenties coach, and he's telling me about that today. So, well, can I? Well, can I just? Cla- I mean, I've got some breaking news on that. Uh, whilst that was our intention, uh, we've had an objection to that from the SYFA. <sighs> Why? Uh, okay. So, listen, it's not the end of it, Bob. But any of it, by any stretch of imagination, but. The SYFA have objected to us extending the limit for another year to under-21s because it will affect, obviously, the amateurs and the under-21s under their jurisdiction. So, as I say, it's not the end of it. You know, we're still going to be talking to them, etc. You know, but uh, it's not really the news once they hear, to be honest with you. Um, Can I have a a quick question for Danny? Yeah. Um, I notice in other countries that the PFA and the leagues have come together and they've been quite vocal with each other to pay for testing, and so on and so forth. Um, obviously, the English PFA are usually quite vocal on a lot of things, as you saw a couple of days ago, with like the, the salary cap getting scrapped. We never really seem to hear anything, certainly from a fan's perspective, looking in from the Scottish PFA. Uh, you have, is there any communications? Have they made any signs about helping out, about testing? Um, has there been anything at all from them? There's been loads throughout the pandemic in terms of 
um, mental health, um, that kind of thing. And if you've not got a club and pay disputes, any of, all that kind of thing. But in terms of testing, I just don't think they've got the finances. I think we pay uh, as a players voluntarily if we want to be a member. Not people aren't all players are members at something like six fifty a month, something like that. I think the, the top pros Celtic play a bit more, but. It's just the resources they've got compared to the English PFA's just got a war chest. We've just, it's just not enough. So I, I do feel they get a hard time sometimes at PFA, but I, I think I think they're doing their best and, and, and I've, I've appreciated some of the support they've offered. I'm not just saying that because Chris Higgins is my teammate and works for the PFA. They are, <laughs> I, I, genuinely, I genuinely think they've been, they do get a hard time and they're doing enough, enough but I feel like they've, they've been doing a bit more. Yeah, and there's uh, Owen just agreeing that it's a good question about the SPFA and player welfare. Um, yeah, I think it's it's definitely difficult right now, isn't it? Because everyone's budgets are going to be slashed even more so than they ever were before. So if you're already working on a shoestring, you know, what what can you do, you know? Um, and I, I'm not sure if he still works there or not, but is it Michael Hart, who used to play for Aberdeen, I think he used to be uh, work at the PFA. I, I remember speaking to him before and thinking, you know, he was a really good guy in the way that he spoke, and I think Michelle uh, as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I think they see the sorry that they see the mental health stuff. It's been brilliant. I know loads of players that have that when they admit they've got a problem, when they've and they 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 get they go in contact with the PFA, it's top doctor. This they get put straight away. No no pause straight away. They're in, in my doctor, a counselor, loads of support. Um, so. There is a support there. It's just you have to get off your own back as a player and contact the PFA. And I know it's not easy when you're in a bad position mentally to to do that, but the support is there. And clearly, a very fitting question when you're talking about mental well-being. Chris has said, "Keep saying I can't wait to boo again." How much have you missed being booed, Danny? Do you know what? I, I, there was, and then, no, I, I don't miss. Was I'm coming on. I'm ready. I'm going to get my my my, my team back in this game. One 0 down. Someone's coming off. Why are they taking him off? I'm like, oh, that's not great. And they're going, and why are they putting that cunt on? And then you're right in my ear and you're like, I didn't score. I didn't assist. I walked off that park, probably 2 0 down. And yeah, please don't do that. Uh, the the boon's fine, but just don't, yeah. Come on, be a bit more constructive. That's all. Yeah. Constructive. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, so we've probably only got a couple minutes left. Any final questions? Uh, please just feel free to, to put them in the chat. And I guess the final question for me to, to the panel tonight is, what is the, the biggest risk to Scottish football clubs that are affected by this right now? The obvious, the obvious answer is finance, Gavin. Uh, you know, I mean, that, that's the obvious answer. If this was to be an extended period without fans come through the turnstile for, you know, for clubs... You know, the money's going to run out sooner or later, especially if Division 1 and Division 2 clubs are going to test as well. And you're talking probably in the region of between ten and £15,000 a month to, 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 to test. You know, so unless we get down to the lateral flow testing as opposed to the full test, clubs will run out of money at a rapid rate of knots. And that's the biggest threat I see is, you know, the finances. It's an obvious one, but it's the biggest threat. It's you and you to come in so I'm, I'm, I'm going to be really positive here. I'm, I know it's a lot of doom and gloom, so I think it'd be great to see uh, supporters go and support the local team um, when football comes back and, and put their hand in their pocket and then go and watch, you know, the clubs could even potentially drop the prices a little bit so it's more affordable and they might end up making more money from ticket sales through that and really getting people to go and watch a game of football because there's, there's nothing better. Everyone misses football, so 
you know, why not go down and watch? Maybe not his fight with Danny's playing, but why not go and watch? <laughs> <laughs> why, not go watch why not go and watch your local team and um, you know, get go with your mates in the local area and, and go for a few beers before the game, a few beers after the game, rather than you know, sit and watch that a team miles away on telly and haven't getting the joy of a, a tweet up, mind up the opposition fans, you know, support your local team. That's what I'd say. I love that because yeah, you know, yeah. do you know, see, like in terms of like hearts, he's mentioned it, Bob. Just they just take it for granted. See clubs like East Fife, and they don't take it for granted. They're so grateful <laughs> for it. Edinburgh say, and I want my my same wage next season. So come East Fife, I need that money, just as George said. Well, hold on, hold on. I, I was going to start the the, the Denham City coming home rumours again. Is that not going to happen? <laughs> bring, go to City, bring that war chest, get the funds up. We'll see what happens. <laughs> Danny's looking for a new contract. Come on. Uh, if I could kind of slightly be on a positive note again, I'm hoping that this kind of allows Scottish football to have more of a conversation about how it sees itself and how it's going to move itself going forward. I mean, I think the one of the biggest regrets I think it probably had was not carrying on the season into this. So rather than having two curtailed seasons, which was always going to be a strong possibility, you'd only have one. So we we probably still had a pyramid playoff, which is quite close for close to me because that's how we came into the league, um, and I'm still a big advocate of the pyramid, and I think we as a club we are as well. So e- even other things like it's not everybody's favourite idea, but discussing things about summer football, you know, changing things like that, just to have a conversation, put all the cards on the table, trying not get put into the factions. I mean, we can see there's 20 clubs come together and. For as long as I've been watching Scottish football, I think that's the first time I've ever really seen teams banding together to kind of be as one. And um... <laughs> sorry, I just see the comments put up there. Um, do you know, it, it was I was really enthused by the fact that there was clubs willing to come together to put the good of the game first. And I hope that is just something we can carry on with because that was a real, real positive so far um, that we've not really seen for a long time. Yeah, I think that's really well put there, and um, yeah, just to echo everything you've just said there, Bob. Uh, Danny, there is a, a serious question from Chris. When are we getting a blog update on the Swans? Difficult because the signets have flew the nest. There's two. Uh-huh. There's there's only two of them down the water leaf. But I did see this. I, I seen that question come up, so I got a photo. I see if I can get up on the thing. This one would just perch in the middle of the road in the snow. I don't know if you can see it. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> I think he just no, just doesn't care. Just in the middle of the road, just chilling in the snow. So, uh, Swans, I'm, I'm still going out Swan watching, but I'm, I'm gutted that the signals are through the nest if, if that answers the question. So, there'll be no <laughs> blog update on that. <laughs> uh, I said, one half of me is rubbing my hands from a marketing perspective. The other half of me is thinking realistically and that things won't change when it, come, when it comes to clubs resting on their loyal laurels. Um, I guess that's... We'll just have to wait and see on that. Uh, guys, it's been an absolute pleasure tonight and you've all provided you know, different levels of insight and I've really enjoyed the conversation as I'm sure everyone in the chat that's, that's joined along with us has as well. Um, and yeah, just thank you all so much for your time. And just before we wrap up, I obviously hope that everyone stay safe, take care of yourself, your loved ones, uh, look after your mental health, don't get bogged down in any shit you don't need to. Um, Swan watching with Danny if that's that's what's going to make you feel better. Um, <laughs> social distance, uh, social distance. Swan, swan watching, um, yeah. or maybe your Zumba class. We can get that going. Um, 
<laughs> no, it's been great, guys. Uh, thank you so much for joining. And again, to everyone that's watched, uh, just thank you for joining us and, and take care.